We are so glad you joined us today on our podcast. We would love to continue to connect with you throughout the week. And to do that, you can check us out at substancechurch.com or on social media by searching at SubstanceMN or Substance Church. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the message. Well, what is up, Substance? What is up, church? Make some noise wherever you are at. If we have not met, I am Pastor Peter Haas, and I just want to welcome all of the churches joining us all over the world. Lord, especially Venue Church in Canada today is joining us. Our downtown campus, Monterey, Mexico, Westside, we love you guys. We're just honored to be able to do church together. And of course, you know, today is kind of fun. I want to teach all of you about two biblical virtues that tend to be extremely rare nowadays. And and here they are. The two virtues that we're going to study today are the virtue of humility and the virtue of honor. Honor and humility. Now, I think when we're, we're talking about politics, especially, honor and humility are actually kind of seen as weakness, actually, in, in today's culture. This is kind of interesting. Studies actually show that, that, that humans tend to prefer doctors and politicians who have extreme confidence and who talk fast. There's something about extreme confidence, like they just know exactly what is right and what is wrong and with our bodies, right? Because it gives us confidence, like, oh, you're a competent doctor. Like people tend to rate doctors as more intelligent if they jump to quick conclusions than if they say, you know what, let me think about that. We rate them lower, okay? Which Yet the research shows it's actually confidence tends to be an indicator of lower intelligence. It's the people with humility that are like, I don't know. People that are willing to say, I don't know. I actually have higher intelligence, higher accuracy rates. They're better doctors. In fact, uh, recently, this is kind of crazy, there was a a study on intellectual humility where all these psychologists got like 1,200 test subjects together and they, they did it, they developed a test that would determine basically how arrogant are you, okay? <laughs> of course, they did not use the inflammatory language, arrogance, they used confidence, right? But they wanted to have this metric, and then, then once they'd have like this confidence factor, how confident and intelligent you think you are, then they would, they would take you through a battery of intelligence tests and discernment tests and problem-solving tests, and they wanted to test all these other things, and, and get this, People with intellectual humility, who, who basically were honest about a lot that they don't know a lot, uh, people with intellectual humility scored uh, significantly higher on not just knowledge tests, they scored significantly higher on discernment tests. They also had higher motivation for learning, and they could learn for longer periods of time and they were more likely to reflect on their experiences, okay? Now, remember, um, we, we oftentimes talk about experience as the best teacher. It's not, okay? It's, experience is not the best teacher. Otherwise, the people with the most experiences would automatically be smartest, right? That's not true at all, right, okay? It, it's reflected experience. It's evaluated experience is the, best, is the best teacher. And it takes intellectual humility to look back and say, maybe I didn't handle that conversation quite well. Maybe I didn't text that person quite right. Maybe I didn't, you know, fill in the blank, handle whatever situation that well. You see, ironically, 
People tend to hate doctors, politicians, and leaders who aren't borderline arrogant, okay? It's kind of interesting. Intellectually humble doctors tend to get lower views even though they get higher accuracy rates. And, and intellectually humble politicians also get less media coverage. Okay, politicians who aren't inflammatory get less media, and guess what? So the, not only the, the study about humility also applies to dishonor. We like tend we tend to like leaders, and I'm not saying Christians do, but generally as a culture, we tend to like politicians that also dishonor people. That that set, we we retweet angry, inflammatory tweets more than we do uh, tweets that are filled with humility. And we, in fact, actually I. I would go as far as to say we live in a culture where dishonor is actually considered a virtue. Oh, you're a truth teller. Basically, we, you know, bully people, you know what I mean? And then we'll, we'll say that's a virtue as if that's somehow more righteous. In fact, actually, if you think about humility and honor, we, we, we tend to think of the opposite as a virtue. Okay, a lack of humility and a lack of honor. And the reason why I'm talking about this is because in the text we are about to study, we're going to discover that humility and, and honor are actually the gateway to the supernatural. And conversely, a lack of humility and a lack of honor will not only cut off grace in your life, it will cut off wisdom, it will cut off the, mir the miracles of God. And by the end of today, some of us are going to just, we're going to learn that maybe the lack of breakthroughs in our lives, our finances, our, our nations, our personal bodies just might be due. Just maybe it's due to a lack of humility and a lack of honor. And so if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Matthew or Mark chapter 6. In the context of this passage, Mark 6, we're reading about Jesus traveling back to his hometown of Nazareth. And check this out. We're going to read, Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. So he's back in his hometown. You'd think this is going to be a hometown celebration. This is going to be, oh, our local hero, the rabbi who was raised in our midst, gone out to go and teach and is doing great things. Okay, so he's going back to the hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. And so there were a couple people that were like, dang, come on, Jesus, go, go, Jesus, right? And then where did this man get these things? So people start asking questions. They ask, what's this wisdom he's been, that's been given to him that he even does miracles? Okay, so it's just kind of this interesting thing, verse 2, and it goes on. Isn't this the carpenter? Wait a second. Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, you know, the troublemaker, Joseph, the guy who, you know, screwed off in class, Judas and Simon, aren't his sisters here with us? And look what it says, and they took offense at him. Okay, now, have you ever just had someone rub you the wrong way? I think, it happens, I think it happens to all of us. Just someone, maybe their first impression wasn't so hot. Sometimes, you know, and sometimes it's, it's actually that person's fault. Maybe they said something dumb. Or it's, but a lot of times it's actually our issue, right? It's our wounds, our triggers. It had nothing to do with them and their behavior. It had everything to do with us and the things that we're, we heard. We only heard certain things or we only saw certain things. In this passage, we know 
know for a fact Jesus didn't do anything worthy of dishonor, and yet dishonor was happening. And so check this out, verse 4. They took offense, right? Jesus said to them, only in his hometown among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. Okay, so and, and, and this is kind of interesting. Okay, so without honor, everybody say honor. honor. Okay, now, now watch what happens next, okay? So without honor, and watch what happens next. Jesus could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. Okay, so now notice the Bible said, it doesn't say he, he would not do any miracles. It says he could not do any miracles except for healing a few sick people. It's almost like Mark was saying, Jesus did a few mediocre miracles, okay? Like, uh, well, keep in mind, okay, in all fairness, the, right before this, Jesus had just raised a little girl from the dead, which is how many of you, you know, that's pretty sensational, I would say, okay? So healing a few sick people by comparison, you could see, mm, meh, you know, like you could see, you could see why there's a change, but, but, but don't overanalyze this and miss the point, Mark's point, because what he was trying to say is in Nazareth something changed and it resulted in a different type of miraculous, a, a, a more limited, it was some sort of supernatural limitation. There was a noticeable lack of miracle power and why? Well, the previous verse tells us. Jesus said it's because of a lack of honor. The act of honoring people, get this, the act of honoring people is a gateway to the supernatural. It is a gateway. Honor is connected to the supernatural. And I just wanted to point that out. And of course, I'm going to show you a couple verses to, to just make sure that you understand this, okay? Ephesians 6, 2 and 3, okay? It's called the of the Ten Commandments. It's the first one with a promise, the Apostle Paul says. And it's honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, okay? So Paul is pointing this out. Hey, there's something unique about honor. There's something unique about when we obey this. It's the first one with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. There's something about honor that is not just connected to the supernatural, like it says in Mark. It's connected to a couple things that will go well with you, that you'll have favor in your life. It'll go, like, think about it. what would it mean to it'll go well with you when it comes to your finances, when it comes to your marriage, when it comes to your physical body, okay? And that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Don't think about life expectancy. Think about that word right there. Enjoy your life. How many people aren't enjoying their life? In other words, a lack of joy in our lives may actually be due to dishonor in our lives. Think about that, okay? Joy is a natural byproduct of honor. And so here's, here's the million-dollar question, though. I think whenever we talk about honoring people, like honor your mother or father, some of you are like, well, what if my parents aren't honorable? I hate my parents, you know what I'm saying? Or, 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 or what if, let, let's, let's apply it to, you know, politics, because this is especially easy, right? What if our politicians and our leaders and our bosses are awful? They're not worthy of honor. So what do we do then? Well, okay, the first thing you're going to learn when you actually study the biblical concept of honor is that honor has very little to do with the person you're giving it to. Okay, now just let me say this again. In other words, honor, it's not about the person being honorable, about the person you're giving it to. Honor is about what it does in us 
when we give it, okay? So let me just, a couple counterintuitive truths here, okay? First is this, we give honor biblically, not because a person is honorable, but because of what honor does in us and those around us. And it's really important you understand this about honor, otherwise you're gonna be holding it back thinking, oh, this person doesn't deserve it, when in reality, no, no, you're, you're hurting yourself. Don't do that, okay? When you study dishonor, this is kind of fascinating, okay? When you study dishonor all throughout the Old Testament, almost every single story where someone dishonors someone, even when their cause was just, it actually wrecked them. Okay, so even when your cause might be righteous, when you dishonor people in the midst of that, it actually hurts the person doing it. For example, in Numbers chapter 12, when Miriam dishonored her brother Moses, guess what? She immediately got stricken with leprosy. Okay, or in Genesis 9, when Ham, one of Noah's sons, dishonored Noah for actually acting dishonorably, right? Ham actually dishonored his, his father, who was acting dishonorable, right? It resulted in a curse on not only Ham, but on his kids, okay? It not only wrecked his life, but it resulted in a curse on his children's children, okay? So you can just fast forward. By the time we reach King David in, in 2 Samuel 1, it's clear. David saw all these stories. He knew all of these stories, and David's like, I do not want to mess up in this area. And, he, and let me tell you, he had plenty of chances to mess this up. Why? Because he, had to, he grew up under the time of a king named Saul who was very wicked. And, of course, Saul did everything in his power to dishonor David. And he tried to kill David time and time and time again. And the moment Saul died, of course, David knew uh, the promises that God made over his life were finally going to come true. He's about to be made king. And yet the first thing he did, this is kind of interesting, the first thing that David did when he knew he was going to become king is he wrote a song honoring the very guy who had tried to kill him for the last decade. What? Like, okay, now, to, to a non-Christian or a person who doesn't understand biblical honor, that, that, that's a contradiction. Now, to a person who understands honor, it makes total sense. Why would he write a song honoring Saul and Jonathan? Jonathan was Saul's son. Get this, okay, he actually made the entire nation memorize this song. How weird is that, right? But let me quickly read it to you, okay? 2 Samuel one twenty three. Saul and Jonathan... This is the song, okay? Now, if you actually read it in Hebrew, you, it would be a little bit more poetic. When you translate it, it's not as, it doesn't flow off the tongue quite the same. But Saul and Jonathan, in life they were loved and gracious, and in death they were not parted. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Oh, daughters of Israel, weep for Saul, who clothed you in scarlet and finery, who adorned your garments with ornaments of gold. Okay, now when I first read this, I, I, to be honest, I was kind of irritated. If I could just be honest, okay, just looking at it through my, my carnal eyes, thinking, you know, like, why? Why would David do this? I mean, there had to have been a better song to sing, like, ding dong, the witch is dead. You know what I'm saying? There has to be a better song to sing than that song. You know what I'm saying? Something. Why? Why would David do this? Well, why, why would David say these things about a man who is so hateful to him? Well, once again, we give honor not because a person is honorable, 
but because of what honor does in us and those around us. David knew, oh, the honor wasn't for Saul. By the way, he's dead. He's not going to hear the song either way, okay? You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe he, he heard it. But it was really, David knew this is to keep my own heart pure. And it was actually to help our country mend. It was to transform pain, not transmit it. You see, there was another reason why David did this. He understood that there was a second counterintuitive concept about honor that I think is really important, and it's this. Honor is something we sow and therefore reap, the Bible says, okay? Galatians 6, 7, classic. Do not be deceived, which means you can be, which means that this is countercultural. This is something that we can be deceived in. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows, right? Actually, the Bible says that when you dishonor authority, you're actually dishonoring God who established the authority. There is no authority except that which God has established, Romans 13, okay? So ultimately, honor is something that we sow and therefore reap. When we, when we sow dishonor, guess what we're going to reap at some point in our lives? We're going to get a crop of unrighteousness. You see, David knew very soon he's going to be king. That, 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 and what kind of behavior did he want to see in his, in his people when they might be tempted to have the same kind of spirit, a spirit of dishonor? You see, this, this is actually the perspective of David, and I, I wrote about this extensively in my book, Broken Escalators, a whole chapter on the character of David, um, that, that David believed that God's justice was so absolute and so certain that the eyes of God were so aware of what every human being on on earth was doing and who needed promotion and who needed demotion, that, that David, did, David was like, I don't even need to worry about Saul. His demotion is guaranteed. It is guaranteed. I'm worried about my own character is what David was saying, okay? Like, I don't even need to worry about a corrupt king. God's going to take him out at the proper time. I, that's, that's actually God's job. Now, I'm not going to take God's job away from him, right? Heck, David thought, God doesn't even need me to dishonor Saul as if somehow it holds him accountable. You know what I mean? David knew that dishonoring words only demote him and his own character and anyone that he shares them with. And that's why it leads us to the third counterintuitive principle that you're going to find in biblical honor. Honor and dishonor are a self-fulfilling prophecy. Okay, so just like you reap it and you, you sow it and you reap it, in a similar way, honor and dishonor are a self-fulfilled prophecy. As it says in Proverbs 18:21, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. People are becoming what we say about them. And if we rip on our spouses, they're becoming what we say about them. That's why if you have anything good to say, say it. Declare it over people. Prophesy it over people, even if it doesn't currently exist. By faith, my son will unload the dishwasher without rolling his eyes, okay? Maybe someday, someday we'll get there, right? Someday, my spouse, you know, just call it out. People are becoming what you say of them. Your tongue has more power because it's not just a word. It's faith. You know what I'm saying? And people are becoming what we say about them. I, I just, as kind of an example of this, I, I remember before planting substance a little over 17 years ago, um, I pastored a church in Wisconsin for, I was in, at that church for a, a total of about nine years, um, about half of that as lead pastor. And, uh, but before I was lead pastor, I was the youth pastor. And, and you know what was fun about being the youth pastor is that it, it's just People were constantly celebrating me as the youth pastor because I'm helping them with their problematic teenagers, right? And a lot of the parents uh, appreciated that. And, uh, and, and, you know, people would come up to me all the time and they'd be like, oh, you're my favorite staff member, you know? And I'm like, you say that to everyone, but say it again. 
You know what I mean? Like, I, I was just like, I, I, you know, I, I just kind of ate it up. But here's what I realized. This is what was so crazy. Is the moment I became the senior pastor, half of these same people suddenly got weird, like overnight. I was like, what the heck? It was like all sorts of people started hating me. It was like the weirdest thing. It was like, because all of a sudden, I'm the man. You know what I mean? I'm the one who says no to a certain ministry or makes this decision to prioritize this over that or preaches on this versus that. And, and all of a sudden, it was like people just got weird to me. Over, I went from being their favorite to, you know, like, yeah, Peter used to be my favorite. Now he's the one I whine about to my new favorite. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I, I, I'll never forget there was this guy on our board of elders who I actually was really good friends with before I became the senior pastor. Okay, this guy and I, we just, we, I don't know what it was, there was just divine chemistry, we connected, we talked, we fellowshiped, it was great. And, and, but the moment I got the senior pastorate job, all of a sudden he just became adversarial on like everything. It was like I couldn't do anything without him like, you know, questioning my motives, questioning. I mean, he would emerge from dark crevices every time I had a decision to make and be like, I'm just really concerned about you. Like, really concerned about me. Can I say the same thing to you? I'm really concerned about you. You know, like, I, it was almost just like, and I finally called him out on it. I'm like, bro, what is the deal? Like, like wh wh why are you such a stick in the mud? And I, 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 I'm like, it almost kind of feels like the moment I became the lead pastor, it was like everything you're saying and doing is like adversarial towards me. And I, I'm like, am, am I missing something? Did I offend you? Did I, and no exaggeration, okay? This is, this is exactly what he said. He said, Peter, you want to know the truth? Honestly, I believe that I am on the elder board to guarantee that you stay humble. And I'm like, hmm, that'll bless you. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like... It, 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 I'm thinking this job will humble you all by yourself. I'm like, bro, if you spent any time talking in front of people, you are naturally going to be it, like having to make hard decisions that will make people angry. Yeah, this, that's humbling all by itself. I don't need you to hold, you know, like guarantee I stay humble. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and I, I finally asked him, I'm like, bro, have I, have I done anything like in my behavior to indicate that I'm getting cocky, that I'm getting arrogant. I, I keep thinking, you know, I could immediately leave this job and quadruple my salary today, like, which is what you did, by the way. And, you know, in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking, uh, like, I, I just, in my head, I'm like, have I done anything to get cocky and arrogant? And he's like, no, no. I, I, but he goes, honestly, I just don't believe that anyone could hold a position like yours without abusing it. Just you being a lead pastor all by itself naturally causes people to get twisted. And of course, in my heart, I'm thinking, dude, like, first off, that's not true at all. And, and, I, don't, and I, I finally was just straight up with him. I don't need you adding to my problems by being unnecessarily cynical about my every decision. If there's a specific thing you want to talk to me about, fine. But like, you know, and ironically, you know what? What was funny is he didn't stop dishonoring me. And the more he dishonored me with his cynicism, guess what? the less I included him on my decisions. It was a self-fulfilled 
prophecy. And, and I, I couldn't even trust him to give me a basic benefit of the doubt anymore. And, and guess what? The less I included him, guess what happened? The more he thought I was abusing my power. It was like it, there was no winning with this guy. And I, I realized through that soured relationship just a, a principle that I think is very important. It's this. We cannot dishonor and influence at the same time. It's ultimately impossible. You cannot dishonor and influence at the same time. You're either a critic or you're a coach, okay? So a critic always leads to, to the point of conversion, okay? You critique with the, with the end of converting, whereas other people, oh, no, no, we're, we're, not, we're actually uh, doing the opposite. We're just trying to demonize people, and uh, it, it, it's different. And I, I dishonor, see, it, really my friend thought Dishonor is how I hold you accountable and keep you grounded, but ironically, the only thing that it was doing was keeping him and the, the people around him grounded, you know what I'm saying, from promotion, from the, 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 the favor of God. And so sadly, guess what happened? Uh, you know, over time, he eventually switched to another church that kind of made him feel more secure. And, and of course, the sad thing is all of his kids loved our church, were thriving. They all fell away from the Lord because they hated church, and his life got difficult. He had his new church. You know, they were all new superficial relationships. He had no support network when his life got tough. And in the end, like he ended up kind of hitting a wall in his life and has been kind of stuck there ever since in all the areas where I could have helped him. I wanted to, but I just, I, I had to set up boundaries with them because I couldn't handle that. I couldn't have constant dishonor. And, and he was cut off from the grace that God put in my life. You see, that's, the, that's really what dishonor does is it separates us from the grace of God. That's why, you know, God gives grace to the humble, the Bible says in, in James 4. It says in 1 Peter 5. It says in Proverbs 3. It just constantly says God gives grace to the humble, and yet we, we, we go the opposite route. And I, I share all of this. Because I remember after that, after I, I left Marshfield and I, I started looking back on some of these relationships as you go into new seasons of transitions, and I, I started wondering, what if I do the same thing? I think when we talk about dishonor and we talk about lack of humility, we always think about that person, okay? But right now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to look right in here, okay? And I started asking the question, how often do I do the same thing? I, like there's certain preachers that I can't stand. And I thought, well, you know, the Lord convicted me in that moment. Yeah, and you'll never receive from a single one of them, even if I did give them wisdom. You know, just because you have this particular opinion about you only receive from these types of people, right? Or, or people of this political persuasion, you only receive from these types of people. It's like God can't give any wisdom unless it's through all of our pre-established, you know, boundaries of how we're going to do it, right? How often do I cut myself off from the grace of heaven simply because I lack honor and humility? How often does God send mentors into my life? But because they didn't look the way I wanted to, oh, you're Jesus, the carpenter's son. We end up nitpicking away the wisdom and the insight that they have and then end up missing the moment. It makes me wonder how many people in Jesus' hometown actually were intended to get healed, intended to have a breakthrough, that actually their whole lives would have been altered from that point on, and yet instead all they are is a sad, sorry footnote in the history of the accounts of Jesus Christ, when instead they should have been the miracle story of transformation. I wonder how often that actually happens in my life. 
where I'm stuck in a holding pattern? Or, or how about this, when we're talking about humility? I wonder how often I isolate myself from fellowship in small groups simply because I know for a fact that that intimacy is going to hold a mirror to my lack of humility, my lack of teachability. See, sometimes I think it's just easier to embrace a lifestyle of isolation than it is to actually be a member of the body of Christ. And I, I remember from that point on, even when we planted this church from day one, I'm always going to be disclosing my soul to a bunch of people. I'm always going to be surrounding myself with people who are not impressed with me. I'm always going to be getting myself around people that have input, and I'm going I'm to relearn that which I think I already know and approach it from that standpoint. I, I just... You know, I, you've heard it said before, you're only as sick as your secrets. You're only as sick as your secrets. And I, I think the same thing is true um, <laughs> when it comes to your teachability. You can only learn when you're really capable of relearning that which you already know. God gives grace to the humble, 1 Peter 5.5. 5. He gives joy and miracles in proportion to our honor. And so here's what I want to do. I just want to end with a simple little moment of prayer that I really believe is going to help take you to a place of, of, of breakthrough. Because actually, I, I'm sharing this word with you because I, I actually believe that God wants to do a miracle in your life. But he just needed, to, he needed this moment to maybe point out some areas where you've been lacking humility, lacking honor. And I just, here, here's the best way to do it. Here's the best way to open up the conduit. It's like unclogging the plumbing, so to speak, when it comes to the miracles in your life. Where, right now, close your eyes, wherever you're at, where do you need to turn up your honor and your humility? Are there any areas where you have been actively sowing dishonor. And maybe that's a, an area of unforgiveness. There's a leader who's wounded you or maybe an institution that has wounded you. What do you, what do you tend to whine about the most? That's where you, you know you're most likely to um, sow dishonor. I just want God to be welcomed into that area. Do you trust that God is bigger than that area? Do you trust that God's justice is better than your justice? Do you trust that God sees that and has a plan for that? Yes or no? I just believe that if you do business with God right here and now, you're going to sense breakthrough in that area. Some of you are going to stop carrying burdens that God never called you to carry. The reason why you're weary and you lack joy today is because you've been carrying God's burdens and God's like, hey, that's none of your business. Let me take care of that. Are there any areas where you've been avoiding the path of humility? When it comes to maybe temptation, you, you know you struggle with fill in the blank, but you haven't gotten, a, you know, because you, you're afraid of maybe accountability or maybe if I share this, maybe they'll reject me if they know that I struggle with fill in the blank, that, that they won't accept me. Listen, right now, I really believe that God gives grace to the humble. He gives miracles to those who so honor. And I just really believe that right now, in the area where you need breakthrough the most, if you would just start sowing honor and sowing humility into those relationships, into that area, I'm just telling you, breakthrough. Heavenly Father, you see all of our lives. You see all that we've got going on in our lives and in our culture. And Lord, these are virtues that have been lost. 
Lord, that, that, that have just gotten maybe checked by the wayside in the midst of the traumas of life. And I just pray right here and now that you would help us to rediscover the character that you can promote, Lord. That, that, Lord, you have something way bigger that you're doing in our lives and in our dreams, and that's giving us the character that can sustain the weight of your dream. And I pray that you would give us the type of character you could promote so at the proper time, when you deal with our adversaries and our difficult circumstances, that we would have the character to truly point to heaven with, with the, the likeness of Christ that you truly want to reveal in this world. Lord, I pray that you would use each and every single one of us. And maybe you're here today and, and you've never really given your life to Christ. And, and this, is, this whole God thing is kind of a new thing for you. I just really believe that if you just surrender, take whatever little bit of faith you got and just place it into God's hands. I just, I'm telling you, you're going to get revelation, wisdom, breakthrough right here. Just by repeating this after me. You just say this. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me, renew me, and lead me starting today and for the rest of my life. Just right now, just receive miracles from heaven, receive joy from heaven, receive life from heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. If you agree with that prayer, say amen. 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 With all that said, we're going to have our campus pastors come on up and tell us where we're going to go next. Love you guys. We'll see you next weekend. We hope you enjoyed our podcast today. If you would like to contribute to Substance financially, you can do so by visiting substancechurch.com slash giving and then select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for listening and be sure to check in next week for a new message.